Shalom, everyone. This is Luke Tanner from Zion Hebraic Congregation. Today's Shabbat message is from Psalm chapter 78. I hope you enjoy it. Feel free to check us out online at our website, zionhebraiccongregation.com. You'll see blog posts up there, our podcast links to these messages, as well as links to our social media accounts, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Enjoy. Mighty warriors arise, yeah. Freedom does not only away. The soon is the day when we see your face on the mount of your grace and zeal. Okay, so Psalm 78 today, um, I don't know if I've spoken from this. I feel like I have from this psalm, even if I have, it bears repeating. It's really good. Um, I'm going to read a little bit from this commentary that I read from uh, two weeks ago, this Hirsch Psalms. He was a um, uh, rabbi in the late 1800s. I don't necessarily endorse him, but he has some good things to say. Uh, that I really enjoyed and was blessed by. And um, so I think what we'll do is, um, I think, I think, I think we'll just go through it. We'll just work our way through and I'm probably going to like stop and talk about it as we go through and uh, hopefully glean some, glean some good bits out of it. And um, so we'll pray and then we'll get started. So Heavenly Father God, I thank you again for this day. Uh, that we get to be together, that we get to gather on the Shabbat. Thank you for your Sabbath and um, the stay of rest that you give us a time to gather. And I uh, thank you for your word and that it does guide and direct our lives. Um, I pray that we would just supple our hearts and minds to absorb it and then to apply it um, in our lives and to go out and, and shine as lights for you and your witnesses in the world. And that we would be built up and have confidence through it. In your name, we pray. Amen. Okay, so um, so we're gonna. I'll, I'll just. We'll start in verse one here. Psalm seventy-eight. A mesquil of Asaf. Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their chil- from their children, showing to the generation to come the praise of Yehovah and his strength and his wonderful works that he hath done. So you got this Psalm of Asaph and he opens it up by, by talking to the people and he's saying he's going to open his mouth in parables and dark sayings, which our fathers have known and our fathers have told us. So it's kind of an interesting dichotomy. You might say that these are dark sayings and parables, but he says that they've known them and our fathers have told us. Um, and actually it was interesting when this one commentary I was reading, he said it was... Um, the idea that uh, it was through instruction of their history, the people of Israel, that taught these truths and these principles to the children to come. And that they were, uh, they'd be dark sayings maybe if you didn't understand their history or didn't, you didn't have someone there to guide you and teach you. But because they knew the context, they knew their history, they knew what God had done with them, they had the Torah, they, it was a tool to instruct 
Um, so the kind of the, the, the opening context of this whole psalm is um, what I thought what was interesting about it or the way it hit me is kind of as he goes through basically a short history of Israel and the condition of their hearts and their minds and what they did do and they didn't do is, you know, what is the purpose of Israel? And the same question bears repeating today, you know, what is our purpose? Like, what are we doing? You know, because when the Israelites came out of Egypt, they're, they're in the wilderness and they're going, wandering around basically waiting to die, you know, so in the world, what's the point? You know, so as he goes through the Psalm, he talks about how they act and how it could have gone two ways. They could have accepted, and many of them did, they could have accepted their punishment and then rose to the occasion, lived good lives, taught their children, and um, learned the lesson, right? That's why we discipline our children and send them to their rooms to think about themselves so that they change their course of action. Instead, they, in many ways, turned it inward around on themselves and allowed themselves to become jaded and succumb to their base, wicked nature and then ultimately blame God uh, for all of their problems, which was exactly not what they should have done. And then God, um, you know, they all die because of it. So, so what is the purpose of Israel? Um, it can be seen through the lens of its history. So the f- first verses, we'll keep going here. I read through first, uh, verse 4. We'll go through uh, verse 8. For he established, starting verse 5, for he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children, that the generation to come might know them, even the children which should be born, who should arise and declare them to their children, that they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments and might not be as their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that set not their heart aright, and whose spirit was not steadfast with God. So the whole idea here is, he's saying, listen up, people. I'm going to teach you and I'm going to instruct you from our history and from uh, the instructions of my mouth and from the Torah of God that we can know why we're here, why we're doing what we're doing, that we can rise to that occasion and pass these things on to our children because the alternative is to sit in despair and focus inwardly and say, woe is me and why am I bothering anyway when all the world seems to be doing awesome and I'm struggling through to whatever, it make ends meet or even if I am doing well, you know, what's it all for type of thing. And so he's saying they need to set their hope in God. That's why we that's what, so you need to give a reason is what he's doing. So the history and context of the coming generations, he's giving a reason. History and context of the coming generations that they might have hope and reason to live for God and not the temporary trappings of this world. We use our good in life, in this life, to further God's kingdom. Whereas the world just, there's nothing wrong with things, right? God has given us all things which we enjoy. But the problem or the difference comes in what we do with them. You know, are we building up God's kingdom? Are we instructing our children? Are we 
uh, using our resources to help others or are we just uh, feeding our own selfish desires? And so he's teaching this story to the children of Israel because as we're going to get into it and see here, when they got into um, the wilderness, God was already supplying all their needs. They had water. They had manna. So God had given them what they needed to survive and to get along. But it wasn't what they wanted. They missed the leeks and the onions and the garlic and the meat pots in, in, uh, in Egypt. And so they, uh, they test God. And they said, God, can God furnish a table in, their, in the wilderness? And so they turn it around on God. And instead of being thankful, I'm jumping ahead of myself. So let's keep going here. Um, so da, 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 verse 8 and then... Um, so that they might set their hope in God. Um, let's see here. Oh, I'll read this. So, every historic event, this is from this first commentary, every historic event from our past has far more than mere factual significance. Because of the truth which is proclaimed through every such act of God, it becomes a rule, a maxim designed to serve as a pattern upon which to base our judgment and from which we can derive an explanation for the events of any given era and solutions for the problems of any given time. Right? And isn't that pretty much what Paul said? You know, the, we read these stories because they serve an example for us in how to live, how not to live. And so let's continue on. Verse, um, verse 9. The children of Ephraim, being armed and carrying bows, turned back in the day of battle. They kept not the covenant of God and refused to walk in his law and forgot his works and his wonders that he had showed them. Marvelous things did he in the sight of their fathers in the land of Egypt in the field of Zoan. He divided the sea and caused them to pass through, and he made the waters to stand up as a heap. In the daytime also he held them with a cloud and all the night with a light of fire. He claved the rocks in the wilderness and gave them drink out of the de great depths. He's, he's supplying their needs. He's giving what he needs. Giving them what they need. He brought the streams also out of the rock and caused waters to run down the, like rivers. And they sinned yet more against him by provoking the Most High in the wilderness. And they tempted God in their hearts, asking meat for their lust. So again, they already had what they needed. But they tempted God in their hearts because they weren't content they didn't have what they wanted. They felt like they were being robbed. Um, there was that quote. Remember that quote? They, uh, they felt like they were being robbed of all the good things. You know, God brought them out of Egypt only to, uh, they were mourning their past way of life. I wish I had that quote. But anyway, they were mourning their past way of life instead of, because that's what happens, right? We always, whenever we get somewhere in life, we, we look back with, um, uh, fondness and, and make things look rosier than they really were or remember it worse maybe than it really was. And so they, and they come out of Egypt, they forget the conditions, what they left. You know, they were slaves and they were in bondage and so they were liberated by God and he saved them out of them to make a people for himself to show forth his goodness to the world. And instead they rebelled and said, you know, no, we're not getting what we want out of this deal. And so they had an ideal in their head of what they thought it was going to be, and it wasn't that. And so instead of checking themselves, they turn it around on God. And I think the same things happen, can happen to us. We hit a bad patch and we say, why are you letting this happen, God? You know, why, why aren't you fixing everything for me? 
Well, the truth of the matter is God usually doesn't fix that much for you. Sometimes he will, sometimes he doesn't. Either way, we're still supposed to do the baseline things. Keep his word, do what's right, tell the truth. All these things, that's our duty. Whatever else good we get out of it is, is ice, icing on top. And so we need to keep in mind all those things because he, he may provide all our needs and give us water and manna in the desert, or we may not because he needs to use us as an example for something. And that's okay too. So we have to keep that in mind because we don't know how God's going to use us in our lives for his glory, maybe even after we're dead. And, and that's okay. And so we do what's right anyway, you know. So it takes action to set one's heart aright. You have to take action and maintain a steadfast spirit. This action is a capability God has given us. It's something we can muster and control. It takes practice and self-reflection. So you have to first look at yourself and say, okay, what kind of a human being am I, you know? Don't hold yourself in too high of esteem because what happens then is you, a hard time comes and you stumble and then, and then you just unravel. And so we are to take action to live according to God's word and uh, control ourselves. So for the opposite, stubbornness and rebellion, uh, stubbornness and rebellion is the norm and an action we take of our own volition. We must choose how to act. What we do shows our heart's condition. So the reality is what we do really does show what's going on in the inside of our heart and in our life. You know, David, because uh, he's going to get to at the end of this, how David was a man after God's own heart and lived righteously. But he also did a lot of terrible things when his heart wasn't wearing what it should be too, right? And he got into really big trouble because of that. And so we have to constantly evaluate ourselves. So let's see here. Where were we? I want to make sure that I'm not missing stuff. So a couple more things I want to point out in this uh, commentary. It says, God was the sole source of their prosperity and that their good fortune would endure only if they would faithfully do his will. Dire consequences, uh, the dire consequences Israel would have to pay if it should ever cease properly to appreciate the bliss and the true joy inherent in the destiny that was apportioned to it by the extraordinary decree of God and should turn instead to view with envy the reg uh, and regret the riches which the other nations possess and the pleasures they enjoy. In overrating the value of material wealth and enjoyments, Israel fails to consider that these other nations are thrown upon their own resources when they strive to create their own prosperity, a prosperity which Israel, the nation of God, on the other hand, under God's wise guidance, must cheerfully learn to forego. <laughs> so they had to learn to operate themselves according to a different standard because God was calling them out of the world. And it's the same thing for us. And so we have to reprogram our base natural uh, instincts of stubbornness and rebellion. I'm not rebellious or stubborn at all. <laughs> and uh, mold ourselves to God's will. You know? And so we have to be able to self-reflect. We have to be able to look at ourselves because in verse 8, not be as their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, 
a generation that had not set their heart aright. So that idea that I was taking, you have to take action to change yourself. You know, when I first um, uh, got married and we had Torin, I just, I don't know why, I assumed like I would automatically, I don't even know if I even thought about it, but that I would automatically become a responsible dad, right? Well, the truth was, I was the same self as teenager I'd always been, doing whatever I felt like. Well, my poor wife sat home and took her <laughs> So I realized I had to change, and so it took action to change myself. You know, I could have, what I could have done, and what they did, is turned it around and said, Ugh, you know, my wife is scramping my life, you know, and gotten bitter and wanted more out of the situation. But instead, you have to quell your own wants and desires, take your heart and your spirit into control, so that then you can do what's right for the long-term greater good of your family. And that's the, in, the, in the family of God, we all have to do the same thing. If we individually act like, act like selfish little brats before God, it will corrupt the whole family. And it's just the way it works. And God talks about this and it doesn't go well for them. So, uh, let's go to 17. They sinned yet more and more against him by provoking the Most High in the wilderness. And they tempted God in their hearts, asking uh, asking meat for their lust. Yea, they spake against God and said, Can God furnish a table in the wilderness? Behold, he smote the rock that the waters gushed out and the streams overflowed. Can he give bread also? Can he provide flesh for his people? Therefore, Yehovah heard this and was wroth. So a fire was kindled against Jacob and anger also came up against Israel because they believed not in God and trusted not in his salvation. So these people who were um, testing him and trying him and, uh, you know, because they really didn't believe and did not have salvation, they have turned around what they perceived as their um, pathetic, you know, not cared for that well state, threw it in God's face and said, well, if you're so great, why don't you furnish us a table of meat in the wilderness? It sounds kind of familiar uh, when the, um, I think it was the Pharisees or the Sadducees were talking to Yeshua and they said, if you're the son of God, why can't you show us a sign, right? Because they, why did they say that? Because they didn't believe, you know? And if he had showed them a sign, would it have done anything? No, they wouldn't have believed. And it's the same thing here, but although God does give them, uh, sends them quail, and they die while it's in their teeth. <laughs> so, 23, though he had commanded from clouds above, and opened the doors of heaven, and rained down manna upon them to eat, and had given them the corner of heaven. Men did eat angels' food, and he sent them meat to the full. He caused an east wind to blow in the heaven, and by his power he brought the south wind, and he rained flesh also upon them as dust and feathered fowl as the sand of the sea. And he let it fall in the midst of their camp, and round about their inhabitants. And so they did eat, and were filled, and for he gave them their own desire. They were not estranged from their lust, but... While the meat was yet in their mouths, the wrath of God fell upon, came upon them and slew the fattest of them and smote down the chosen men of Israel. For all this they still sinned and believed not for his wonder work, wonder, wondrous works. Like I said, they didn't, even though he gave them what they wanted, they still didn't believe. Because it was a problem in their heart. They had not changed the core or will, were willing to change the core of who they were. They were not... Uh, they, um, their discontent and unthankfulness formed into a vindictive 
uh, taunting of God, into a vindictive taunting of God. They, uh, they reviled the truth. I can't read my own right. Uh, they revealed the truly dark state of their heart as uh, they turned to bite the hand that fed them. You know, their discontent and unthankfulness and thankfulness turned into a vindictive taunting of God. Because that's what always happens, right? It's like if you spoil a child, yeah, I give them everything they want. And they just seem to get worse, and they and they and they turn around and they spite you almost, you know. And people and people wonder about that, but it's because you haven't changed and trained that core thing within the person. And if that doesn't change, it doesn't matter what you give them; that they're gonna they're gonna turn it into a vindictive, jaded thing, and will only spite you all the more. And that's exactly what happened here. So the wrath came down, wiped them out. Uh, so it's important to teach thankfulness. It's important to be thankful because when you are thankful, you realize you're getting something that you probably didn't deserve anyway. And that really it was the mercy of God that saved us all, brought us all out of our own personal Egypt and has given us whatever we actually even have. And it was the same for them back then. And so if they would have a thankful and humble spirit like Moses had, then they are in a mental, spiritual, physical state where then God can use them properly um, instead of being bitter all the time. So we got to teach ourselves thankfulness and uh, our children thankfulness. Because the whole point, remember, what's the purpose of Israel? We need to have the reason. We need to take action. We need to be thankful. We must keep our life, view, and mission properly aligned through constant reminding of God's work for us. Lest we become jaded and bitter when we look at the world's empty and meaningless wealth and accomplishments. So there's nothing wrong with wealth, nothing wrong with accomplishments, but those things are not ends unto themselves unless we apply it to serving God in His kingdom uh, and raising up our families and teaching these things and restoring what has been broken down, um, we're all just still part of the problem. Um, so let's keep going here. 34, when he slew them, then they sought him, and they returned and inquired early after God, and they remembered that God was their rock and the high God their redeemer. Nevertheless, they did flatter him with their mouth, and they lied unto him with their tongues, for their heart was not right with him. Neither were they steadfast in his covenant. So there we go. Heart wasn't right. They weren't steadfast in the covenant, the promise to obey him. But he, being full of compassion, forgave their iniquity and destroyed them not. Yea, many a time he turned, his, turned he his anger away and did not stir up all his wrath. For he remembered that they were but flesh, a wind that passeth away and cometh not again. How oft did they provoke him in the wilderness and grieved him in the desert? Yea, they turned back and tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. So I got to this verse today and I thought it was really fascinating. They turned back, they tempted God, and limited the Holy One of Israel. So I thought, how in the world does one limit God? Like, what in the world does that mean? Do you... Um, and so I thought maybe on one level our actions or what we do because we turn back and we tempt God and we don't do it right, it maybe on one level... 
limits somewhat to what he is willing to do or wants to do or would do because we are no longer a part of what he's trying to do. I think that's possibly one element of it. But um, Hirsch had a sweet note on it. So this idea of limiting is to make a sign or to draw, as it's uh, in Ezekiel 9.4, any drawing of an object or actually any form is a setting of bounds. Every concept, every definition then is also a drawing of bounds since it endows an object with a certain set of characteristics which then constitute its own sphere and area. God desires to be holy. It is his desire to reveal himself through the medium of Israel as the one who is supreme over all things and cannot be confined, confined to any limitation to whom man must submit and devote himself with his entire being, his destiny, and whatever he may do. It is by Israel and through Israel that he desires to be acknowledged as such in the midst of mankind. And it is also by and through Israel that his name is to be sanctified. This is a big, it's a big weight. It's a big weight. It is for this reason that he calls himself holy. They, they however, set bounds to him. They confined his might or his will to certain defined areas. They conceived of special compartments of living and achievement, which they regarded either as beyond the scope of his power or else as beneath the providence of his concerning or will. They therefore thought these matters to be dependent upon either themselves or upon powers other than God, as the prophet in Ezekiel puts it. They place their threshold next to my threshold and their doorpost besides my doorposts, and there is a wall between me and them. A similar situation prevails today when men seek to divide life into, a, into separate compartments labeled religious, social, family, and individual, and regulate God and our relationship to him, which we call religion, to the narrow area of what they call religion proper, to the confines of church and temple. They banish all considerations of God, his will, and his rule from all the other spheres of existence, the actual sum total of day-to-day -day living. They say such considerations do not belong there, but the purpose of our wanderings through the wilderness was to train us to give every sphere and aspect of our lives entirely to trusting God, to dedicate ourselves to him with the whole of our existence, for it is this completeness of trust and devotion that forms the basis of our destiny." And it is because this goal was not fully reached, because this lack of completeness of trust and devotion had brought about the denigration and destruction of the affirmatic generation which preceded Asaf. Good note, huh? Love it. A similar situation prevails today when men seek to divide life into separate compartments later with religious, social, family, and individual. That was one of the biggest things when I growing up and, and then more so even... Um, when we moved out to Arizona, it was like, we all went to church on Sunday and we were, we were church people on Sunday. And then we all just went and did the rest of our lives. And it just seems so disconnected, you know, whereas when you, and it seems so bizarre, but when you start to bring God's, all of God's word, all of his Torah back into your life and you start keeping Sabbath and you don't eat pork anymore and you keep the holidays and you do these little small things and you wear funny strings on your pants, it, it permeates your life. And it forces you to, to 
evaluate yourself, to evaluate how you, you act and, and work in the world, because it, it just necessarily extracts you from the world system and makes you peculiar. <laughs> it's not what that word means. Peculiar means one's own possession. So they limited the Holy One of Israel by their lack of faith. They turned back and they tempted God. And so we have to be careful into our own life not to limit God by boxing him into certain aspects of our life. And I think, I know for me, it, I just, I, it's just easy to get into the, you know, the rhythm of life and, and work and whatever. And um, we can't forget you know, that we are the medium through which God is expressing himself to the world. You know, why he chose to do that? You know, one would think he could do it a lot better ways, but this is how he's chosen to do it. And so, and, and I think it's because, why? It gives us a purpose. Otherwise, what the, what's the point? You know, what are we doing? You know, we have a job, a really important one, you know, which is to be a part of the fixing of everything that went got wrong in the garden. All right, let's keep going. Um, oh, what time is that? So... Well, I will just keep reading. 42. They remembered not his hand. Nor the day when he delivered them from the enemy. How he had wrought signs in Egypt and his wonders in the field of Zohan. And he had turned their rivers into blood and their floods that they couldn't drink. He sent diverse sorts of flies among them which devoured them and frogs which destroyed them. And he gave their increase unto the caterpillar and their labor to the locust and destroyed their vines with hail and their sycamore trees with frost. He gave up their cattle also to the hail and their flocks to the hot thunderbolts. He cast upon them the fierceness of his anger, wrath and indignation and trouble by sending evil angels among them. He made a way to his anger and spared not their soul from death, but gave their life over to pestilence. He smote all the firstborn of Egypt, the chief of their strength in the tabernacles of Ham. He made his own people go forth like sheep and guided them like a, uh, in the wilderness like a flock. He led them on safely so that they feared not, but the sea overwhelmed their enemies. And he brought them to the border of his sanctuary, even to his mountain, which his right hand had purchased. And he cast out the heathen also before them and divided them an inheritance by line and made the tribes of Israel to dwell in their tents. Yet they attempted and provoked the Most High God and kept not his testimonies. But turned back and dealt unfaithfully like their fathers. They were turned aside like a deceitful bow, for they provoked him to anger with their high places and moved him to jealousy with their graven images. So they had drugged with them some of their warm fuzzies out of Egypt and were still hanging on to their old paths and their old ways. And he said, no, you, you, I have purchased you out of that by blood. And now here's your culture. Here's the days you worship. Here's how you treat your neighbor. Here's what you do with your fields. 59, when God heard this, he was wroth and greatly abhorred Israel, so that he forsook the tabernacle of Shiloh, the tent which he placed among them, and delivered his strength into captivity and his glory into the enemy's hands. He gave his people also over unto the sword, and it was wroth with this inheritance. A lot of people think that this was when um, the tabernacle, the tabernacle, the, um, the Ark of the Covenant went into, was captured by the Philistines. And he delivered his strength into captivity with um, Eli, the priest, right? With Samuel, yeah. And so the, a lot of people believe that's what, what this is referring to. 
63, their fire consumed their young men and their maidens were not given to marriage. Their priests fell by the sword and their widows made no lamentation. So it's really bad. It goes real bad for Israel when they don't do what they're supposed to because they break the covenant. 65, then the Lord awakened as one out of sleep and like a mighty man that shouted by reason of wine and he smote his enemies in the hinder parts and put them to a perpetual reproach. Moreover, he refused the tabernacle of Joseph and chose not the tribe of Ephraim, but chose the tribe of Judah, the Mount Zion, which he loved. And he built his sanctuary like high places, like the earth, which he had established forever. He chose David also his servant and took him from the sheepfolds. From following the ewes, great with young, he brought him to feed feed Jacob's people and Israel his inheritance. So he fed them according to the integrity of his heart and guided them by the skillfulness of his hands. So David, the contrast is, you know, the, the, those who, his heart is not steadfast. Those who do, um, spirit's not steadfast. Their heart is not aright. And so they don't obey him. They don't keep his commandments. They, they are jaded and they're embittered and they taunt God and they want more because they don't believe. There is not salvation in them. Whereas the contrast is David who has integrity in his heart. He does believe. He is different. And so that then changes the outcome of what he does in his life. He has skilled hands. David has uh, the traits we're to model. And um, so him refusing, 67 more refused the tabernacle of Joseph and chose not the tribe of Ephraim. So a lot of people, which I agree, our commentators believe that that has to do with um, Joshua when he took over leading the people into the land of Israel and they were supposed to drive all of the inhabitants out and they didn't, that then um, leadership over uh, God's people through the period, after the period of the judges went to David. You know, God chose, up, chose David. And it's interesting because it parallels what's happened in... Um, the Exodus story with Joseph going down to Egypt and he saves his brothers from uh, famine. And, um, but it is Judah who uh, basically rises to preeminence in the family, right? Because he, yet he takes Benjamin down with him because Reuben, his dad doesn't trust Reuben because of Reuben's nefarious past. And, um, and so Judah kind of rises to lead his his brothers and so it parallels what's happened so it's all that's interesting stuff so so what's the purpose for israel we are the medium through which god spreads his truth to the world and so we have to pass on this reason why we're doing what we're doing because the truth is um life's not going to be peaches and cream for our kids it's not peaches and cream for us and it's going to be a challenge but that's okay nothing worth think if it's worth doing, it's probably going to be difficult. And so, how much more so serving God, keeping His Word, and being a light to the world um, with answers for things, you know, truth and um, a reason for everything. So we got to have that reason in our hearts. We need to take action. We need to be thankful and um, be like David. Have integrity in our hearts. That uh, And then train ourselves in God's word so that we can be skillful 
uh, in our living out of his word uh, in the world. So that's it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father God, I thank you for this day and again for your word and this wonderful psalm. I just pray that you would uh, instill it in our hearts and lives, that we would learn from it and go and live for you. And uh, I just thank you for this place to be and all these things. In Yeshua's name I pray. Amen. Hey, mighty warriors arise, yeah. Freedom does not only away. The soon is the day when we see your face on the mount of your grace and the oh, 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 oh.